Hi, I'm Greg Vitti with Real Estate Legends. Today, we're so excited to bring out a great interview with Al Claremont, the head of Imperial Realty, and he has a fantastic story to tell. After we're done with Al, we're going to talk with his daughter, Julia, who's become a master of real estate at Imperial Realty. You grew up in Highland Park. That's true. You worked at Goldie's. Goldie's S&S Deli. Was that your first experience of working? Well, I had many jobs. I delivered newspapers, raked leaves, I cut lawns, had a little lawn cutting business. I learned a lot working at McDonald's for, for six weeks. And uh, then I found a job with Goldie's S&S Deli that paid 15 cents an hour more, and I made the move. <laughs> that was sophomore year uh, of high school, and I kept that job through high school and came back summers, freshman, sophomore, and a little bit of junior year after college. In high school, I also worked as a janitor for the first building that my dad developed. Where was Highland that at? Park. That was the first one he actually built or owned? Well, it was the first building that he owned for real estate purposes, and that's on the corner of 2nd Street and Central. And that building was built in 1871, and it's the oldest masonry building in Highland Park, and it's had two owners since 1871. Wow. And it's the site of the first Highland Park High School. Oh, no kidding. There's a plaque on the building commemorating it. <clears throat> and I got to tell you, I was, I, I, I feel so fortunate. When my dad went to look at the building, to buy it, to negotiate with the broker, guess what? Guess who was tagging along? His 10-year-old son, me. So that was like in 68 or something? Seven. Yeah, 67. So you got to be in on the negotiation of that bad boy. I, I saw the whole thing. I watched the renovation of the building and was fascinated. Oh, it really is fascinating. So when did you know you were going to be involved? You guess you grew up with it. You knew you were going to be involved. I could never picture myself growing up when I was in high school and college. It just, you know, it was over my head. How many colleges did you apply to? Well, I, two. <laughs> Did you get them both? I did. So it was Illinois and... Illinois and Wisconsin at Madison. Were you in a uh, fraternity? No, no. Too independent for fraternities. Good. But as senior year was ticking away, the only thing I knew was that I was going to be through with school in May. Because I never liked school, starting in kindergarten. I didn't like it. I couldn't wait to get out. Because they told you to sit down and shut up. <laughs> I had that same problem with school. He's got too much energy. Sit down and shut up. Well, I think part of it was, you know, it's not the real world. What are the rewards? The rewards is a report card. I graduated 40, was he, 43 years ago. Actually, tomorrow is 43 years. It was a very happy day in my life. And nobody's ever asked me, what were your grades? Right. So, how, how, how'd you do? You must have done pretty well, well to no. get into Illinois. Well, I, I always wanted straight A's, and well, I never came close. <laughs> well, you know, they say that C students usually make the best salespeople because they try harder. <laughs> They're forced to. Well, let me tell you this. In, throughout my academic career, I looked for every shortcut probably studied less than anybody else, probably took less notes. And now I've, I've, I've graduated, it's Sunday, it's May 21st, I graduated, and I'm gonna go to work the next day for my dad. I'm gonna be the first employee. My dad is, is a genius, a real estate business genius, unparalleled, on the side is, is purchased 23 properties, mostly small properties, a lot of single user properties, but he's got another business and this is getting to be too much. 
So I'm, uh, I'm coming in. I'm going to go to work the next day. I've taken the full real estate curriculum at the University of Illinois, which taught me nothing practical. And uh, the job has no, you know, no rules, no... Definitely no, not there, nine to five. There's no, there's no <laughs> format. I, I don't know what to do. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't hand you a, here's the, me. here's the rules. No manual, <laughs> yeah, no, no job manual. description. So I asked my dad, well, you know, what, what do you want me to do tomorrow? So he tells me, he says, go, go over to the, this building and do that. I said, okay. And then go to that building and do this. I said, okay. Then he said, go and meet Mr. Mr. Peters, he wants to talk about this. Okay. <laughs> There's a problem over in this building. There's some kind of an odor. Somebody called a week ago. Check it out. Okay. That's good, though. You started from the humble beginnings of real estate management, the headache division. And I want you to go to this building in Chicago and check this out. Well, Dad, uh, this before GPS, how do I get there? Oh, you get on the expressway, you exit at, at Wilson, and you, you go down three stoplights, and you make a right, and then you make a left, and then you go straight, and it's right there. Okay. Then I want you to go to this building. Dad, how do I get there? Yeah, da, 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 da. Okay. <laughs> at that point in my life, I got to tell you, the light bulb went off. And this is something that distinguished my professional career. It came to me, I better write these things down. Found a pen and I found a, a yellow pad of paper. And my dad had given me seven things to do. And I'm there with the pad and the paper and I want to catch up. For the life of me, I could only remember three of the seven things. And the directions, no, no way, no way. My dad was very patient with me. I said, Dad, let's start over. Start it over. And I wrote everything down. And from that moment on, I write everything down. And you will not believe it, everything gets done. Everything gets done. You got a list. Now here, you know, 43 years later, tomorrow, you know, here's an example. These are my, this is my yellow pad. Every page is a day, and whatever it is, everything gets done. Everything is unbelievable. Everything gets done. Could you imagine a day where you didn't get it done? You'd feel terrible. Well, that happens all the time. I do it the next day. I always you, oh, you, you, I, you don't have to exactly wait till the 24 hours is up to get it accomplished. Oh, it's impossible. <laughs> See these yellow pads? I keep them all. I have them at home file cabinets, I don't know where they are, but I have them, and everything gets done. So let's say that to all you students out there that didn't do that well or weren't that motivated in high school, maybe even college, you could be persistent, you can get it done, you can make lists, Al is the living proof of it. Well, if you write it down, you'll get it done. If you they think it and to, ink it. If you, <laughs> if you want to be like I was in school and think you're going to remember everything, you can't. The human brain, it, it cannot. It cannot process all this information. You must write it down. So do you remember all the addresses now? Pretty much. I was going to say, I think you do, because I know I've of brought up different... Yeah, I've, 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 you well, own hundreds. Well, well, of course. <laughs> the addresses. Right. I have keys. I know where I can get into every space. And you answer the phone. That's what's really impressive about you, Al. You answer your own phone. Well, you want to be successful, you answer the phone and you return calls. So this wife of yours must be a very patient, loving woman to put up with the hours that you must have to work to accomplish what you've accomplished and still to this day have accomplished. She's terrific. Tell us about it. My wife grew up in Russia and at the age of 17 emigrated to Canada. And make a long story short, I met her when she was 19. I was old and wise, like 25, 24, 25. And we fell in love. 
and got married uh, a couple of years later. Fantastic. And so how many children do you have? Three kids. Of course, they think they're all grown up now, which they are. They're all 30 years and over. Well, they probably parent you a bit. They're smarter than me. <laughs> that, does, that definitely happens, doesn't it? <laughs> and so what are your wife's interests? You won't find another one like my wife. She has talents that are very far ranging. She went to school as a musician and played organ, organ performance, which is a very difficult instrument because you're pretty much limited to churches. And then this is 35, 36, 37 years ago, she got her real estate salesman's license and worked here in the company for about a year. And when the babies started popping out, she became a full-time mom. And again, her she has a myriad of talents, one of which is in the field of art. And she is a wonderful artist. I mean, beyond. She's a corporate collections, she's in museums. Fantastic. As you look around this room, you see some of her work. That's a Highland Park scene, Millard Park. Yes, original. I know Millard Park very well, actually. These are kind of photocopies. She's my favorite artist. This is just gorgeous. And look at, look at the detail. I, I don't know how she does it. Did you have any artistic uh, talent? On a scale of zero to 10, I was... Uh, half. No talent at all. None. I was the worst at paper mache, clay, wood shop, oil painting, whatever they tried to teach us at Brayside School and elementary. But you're probably school. good at the napkin, drawing out the ideas on the building or the bar or, or the back the, of an envelope. Back, yeah, back, back of an envelope. Of you're the champion of that. I'm good at those. Okay, I'm good at those. Now my wife mastered oil painting, jewelry design, metals, glass, sculpture. I'm probably forgetting a couple, a couple of things. And she's just a master at each. Does she have a studio now? She has a studio in the house, but she gave it up for the time being. Okay. And she decided, I want to be a lawyer. So she went to law school, passed the bar, at the age of 50-something, 50 54. Wow. And is now a practicing lawyer. And what kind of law does she do? Real estate law at Imperial Realty Company. Oh, my gosh. That is fantastic. So Very just, proud of her. I'm interested from the time. So you're, you're telling the story about when you learned to start writing things down, you know, your first day working for your dad. Can you tell us a little bit about you know, the days after that, kind of how you grew into... Well, what, what, what happened you know. is I'm doing everything and I know nothing. And what an, I, I, I've had the perfect advantage to come into that situation because I became a generalist. My dad was doing another, you know, in another business. And here I am, if, if I don't do it, it doesn't get done. So now I'm doing architecture, I'm doing design, I'm doing construction, I'm doing leasing, I'm negotiating, uh, way in over my head. And pretty much lost every 10 minutes. Now what I could do in those days, I'd, I'd keep a lot of dimes in my pocket and I knew where all the pay phones were. And during the day, I'd go to a pay phone and I'd try to reach my dad at his other business. And, you know, dad, what should I do? Because I had no clue. But I was learning and I loved it. And what I really liked was the variety and the variety of people from all walks of life that I was dealing with on a, on a daily basis. And I'm working, you know, I grew up, I, thought, you know, you work nine to five, you know, that's what, I, what you always heard, nine to five. But I never slept much. Why, why wait till nine o'clock to start? 
<clears throat> when you're when you're up at six o'clock, and why stop at five o'clock when you got nothing else to do, and uh, you're having you're having fun, and when that's happening, what you do is you scramble to do as much as you can. You're never you're never done. You're never caught up. You have a voracious appetite to do everything, and I'm still that way 43 years later. I even carry a, a dictaphone wherever I go in the car, and you know, translate my ideas. It's a smart idea. Each of which I guarantee you would evaporate had I not spoken into the dictaphone and then come to the office and write it down. When I go through a building, and I've got a hundred buildings now, I walk through and I make notes with what needs to be done. And if I were to walk through with my staff and just point out, do this, do that, they'd go, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nothing would get done. When I could done the way you this, wanted this to. This is the know. first four and a half months of my of my walkthrough notes. And and there's thousands of things. Everything gets done. Everything gets done. <laughs> Isn't that funny? So it goes from where you didn't know what was going on, you have to call your dad every time to now you're making sure everything gets done on about a hundred buildings. Trying to. Exactly. Trying exactly. to. And, perfection. And, and succeeding. Well, you're definitely succeeding. So you're building some buildings too now. I don't. I don't like to do that. That is not. That that has not been our path to Rome. It's been add value. Value add. Value I think add. That's the best type of investment. If we have done made 150 investments, and we have, I've had one failure. Wow. One loser. I lost $150,000 on, on one investment. It was almost a break even, but. You got it right off. A loss is a loss. It is. But I made a fabulous trade when I sold it. So I know that the combined insurance property was a pretty exciting one for you. You took a chance on a big property there. That was, what is it, Clement Stones, right? Yep. Yeah. And, and who owned it? He, he built it, right? So you bought it directly from his company? His business to a company called Ace Insurance. And they moved to New York and had no use for the building and put it on the market. And they didn't do a very good job of it. They had a value that was, was in outer space. And I went to look at it and I came up with a value and the value was half of what they were asking. So it sat for a while on the market. Nobody was going to match their price. And nine months later, a year later, something like that, they put it up for auction. And I'm bidding at the auction. And, you know, I had my high number, which was what I valued it at. And you know, at these auctions, you get a little carried away. And I, I think I went 10% higher than, you know, I promised myself I, I wouldn't exceed. And I didn't get it. Somebody outbid me. I think I was maybe the third highest bidder. It's hard to tell on these eBay type auctions, but we didn't get it. And you know, so nothing lost. Yeah, there's more buildings out there. Well, the buyer defaulted and the seller's broker called me up, you know, Al, do you want to buy the building? And you see, I have a reputation, well-deserved, that I have never backed away or renegotiated a sale contract while under due diligence. I just don't do that. Everybody else does. I don't. I will not retrain. So a seller and a broker, they know that if I say it's a deal, if I sign, I'm going to be at the closing. So uh, actually, I, I bought it for less than I was bidding. There we go. And three and a half years later, I sold it at three and a half times what I bought it for. 
to a developer who was going to do a job that I felt was more ambitious than what we were going to do. And by the way, our numbers didn't look too good. The back, the back of my envelope. <laughs> it looks beautiful it now. They did a nice job. I, I don't know how the numbers worked out for them, but they did a wonderful job on that. I'm rooting for them. I actually called Alex and told him how impressed I was with yep. how beautiful that building yep. was. About 150 acquisitions, all with these different stories. I think they're all pretty dramatic. You know, what was purchased, how it was purchased, what we did with it, what happened, then what happened. Yeah, what's the final where, story? Where are we now? My father used to drive me around Helen Park and he'd say, Yeah, Greg, that's the Bonacorsi's house. And he would tell me, in 52, they sold it to them. And, and then it, it, they had a $50,000 mortgage. You'd go on and on. I'd say, Dad, that's not very interesting. He goes, Oh, it's it's all about this. It's, it's the most interesting thing in the world. And I think they have. Every one of your certain minds are dialed in that way. It's the truth, though. So I'm curious, when did the Imperial kind of come to be in your career? That name, was that was that point, were you with your dad still? Was that in your own venture? My dad, at a very young age, coming out of the military, had to figure out how to make a living in this, in this world. And he came up with an idea of opening a, a dry cleaning business because it had a low entry cost. And he did, he opened up Imperial Cleaners. And Imperial Cleaners was a force once upon a time in the, in the 50s and into the early 60s with a central cleaning plant and many drop-off stores. And the nature of, of dry cleaning changed once Stay pressed shirts became available, and that kind of killed the dry cleaning business. It changed forever, and my dad got out of the business and went into another business. And as he dabbled with real estate, he just decided to call it Imperial Realty. That's interesting. So, you've been with your father in the business, does he come to the office anymore? My dad's 94, and his interest has shifted to his automobile collection. We should talk about that, because that is a, <laughs> and, and as far as buildings go, that building that houses it is pretty incredible with a great history. Well, it's, it's off the charts. But I, I called my dad today, he's in Florida, and you know, there's always things I want to tell him things I think that he wants to know. And I'd like to keep him in the game more than he wants to be at this point. We're very fortunate. So how many cars does he have in Florida? Well, the cars are here in the collection. But does he have any there that he... Oh, you know... Can he still drive? Wherever he goes, there's cars. Does he have a license? He's, he's not driving right now. If you were to see him, you might have your choice of, of half a dozen to ten cars laying around to choose from. If not hundreds of the collection. How many cars are in the collection now? There's over 300. Yeah, it's fabulous. They're all magnificent cars. And so how did you come into that building? Is that the old Spiegel catalog building? Well, no, that's the old WFL printing press complex. It's half a mile long. It's from uh, Diversity Avenue to Belmont Avenue. And they, WFL, closed their plant. They got sick and tired of the unions in Chicago and said, we're, we're, we're out of here. They moved to Tennessee and they put the building on the market. This was a colossal mammoth of a building. They kept a golf cart in it to get around. And it was a white elephant, 1985. A broker brought it to our attention. The building was acquired for about a dollar a square foot. Wow. We bought it not knowing what we were going to do with it. But a dollar a square foot, we're in. You know, I mentioned to you that we had a, we've only had one loser. Well, timing is everything in this business. And when we bought the building and finally redeveloped it to a myriad of uses, the major use was that of retail. 1991. Everything went wrong. Our new anchor tenants went bankrupt, and the retailers were not 
leasing space. It was just dead. And we had a loser. Our lender was so scared. They were hovering over us, even though, as always, the mortgage was paid. And then they called us and made us an offer. They, they, you know, for a few million dollars reduction, you know, buy, buy out the mortgage. And we went to our main bank and said, gee, you know, we mortgage the property for this amount. We said, yes. But that's how, <laughs> that's how, what trouble the center was in. And, you know, timing being everything, today that center is the biggest cash cow in our portfolio. No kidding. Out of, long out of the loser category. It's been out of the loser category for a quarter of a century. How many tenants do you have there? Well, we have many. But Walmart, you know, is the anchor in our retail portion. We also have a self-storage facility. We have some industrial. We have some uh, an auto care center. And then I sold off parts. I sold off a part to McDonald's, sold off a part to what's now Aldi Foods. And These small food. little places. Little. <laughs> sold off a piece so it became a seven-story nursing home. Yeah. That's one of the fun things. You can break them up. Yeah. Multi-uses. Yep. It sounds like your story, knowing the relationship you had with your father and how much mentoring he did for you. I educate lots of real estate students. I don't know if you know about that sector. But through the Harold E. Eisenberg Foundation, which is remarkable, we have programs for students. It is remarkable what we have done. We have affected the lives of thousands of real estate students. Thousands. Hard to believe. We have, no, we have 15 different programs, and we mentor students, we speak with students, we educate them. And I have a podcast that I did about five years ago. And before I mentor a student, it's a full day, you know, they hang around with me or any of the hundred faculty members that we have at the Eisenberg Foundation. And where's the actual foundation? Well, the office is in Northfield, okay, and it's in honor of a former of Highland Parker, Harold Harold Eisenberg, who's a real estate developer, passed away in 1999, okay. suddenly and unexpectedly. So, how did it get formed? Who who formed it? His family and friends, and the idea was to raise money to fight the gastrointestinal cancer for research, and I came along. And I knew Harold, and I uh, had an idea. An idea came to me, and that is how fortunate I've been. I had a father in the real estate business who took me under his wing, and he taught me he how to you. do everything. He had patience yes. with you too. Yeah, which required quite a bit. Well, they threw you into the he threw you into the lake, so to speak, and I didn't know anything. Right. Now, who has that? Yeah. And for students who think I want to go into real estate, how do they know what they really want to do? Do they want to do brokerage? Do they want to do management? Do they want to do lending? We allow them to choose who they want to spend a full day with. And the mentor who they choose is an industry leader who wants to teach and will treat the student like a family member. And I make all the matches. They send in an application. We're up to about 1,600 of these. Wow. I have personally done close to 200. 200 days of being followed all day by a student while I explain the realities as I would to a family member. It's incredible. Behind you are uh, questionnaires that come back from the students and the mentors to say what a fabulous experience it has been. I think it's really admirable that you think that's important to kind of keep that tradition alive with other up and coming realtors. Aside from writing things down, what are what's some of the kind of core advice that you're giving to these students that you're mentoring? 
Well, I like to show it by example. You know, a lot of professors talk to me, my teachers, I don't remember what they said. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you don't absorb it. But when you see it, that's, that's altogether different. So when I mentor students, what I try to do is to put together an ordinary day. I, I don't want to put on any kind of show that, that is, you know, some sort of a facade of, of reality. And I use my speakerphone when I'm on the phone so that they can grasp, you know, every conversation. Before I make a call, I'll tell them why I'm calling, what I'm going to do, what I expect to hear, how I expect to shuffle things, you know, the way I want them, and then make it happen. And where, where else can a student get this? You can't. Now, I knew Harold Eisenberg. Funny thing, I had known of him for years before we actually met. Harold, who was 10 years my senior, lived in Highland Park and did developments in Highland Park. And a lot of people would ask, do you know Harold Eisenberg? And I said, no, I don't, I don't know. Finally, we met. And Harold said something to me that nobody had ever done before or since. He said, let's get together one day and talk about real estate. And I said, yeah, Harold, let's. Well, it may have taken another two years, but we finally did get together and we talked about real estate. And he shared with me all about his family and how he wanted to teach his two sons and his daughter and his wife about his real estate business and he would take them on business trips and to community meetings at night into the office. And, you know, as, as my senior, I was listening and learning, you know, from Harold. And Harold, Harold died suddenly and unexpectedly of gastrointestinal cancer. He had a backache one day, and within three days or so, he was in a coma. And within a week or so, he had passed away. How old was he? Harold was 53. And he left behind a lovely family. And the real estate community rallied to Harold's memory. And again, I'm thinking how fortunate I was to have my mentor. And in a way, how, how fortunate Harold's young children, much younger, they were to have his dad for the short time that they did. And who has, who has this advantage? You, you just don't get it, unless you happen to have the father, mother, grandfather, aunt, uncle, neighbor, yeah, like family David, friend. David Conwaller had his uncle. Right. And that really yeah. propelled him. The odds are about zero. Yeah, it's very small. That you're going to have somebody who's going to show you the ropes. And in recognition of my fortunate situation with my father and as a tribute to Harold and the way Harold wanted to teach. And by the way, Harold also taught International Council of Shopping Center people. He'd go out of town and lecture. And that takes dedication and time out of your life. I doubt they pay you anything. A lot of preparation. Yeah. And I thought of this mentor program and put it together and opened up with 23 or 22 mentors for students to choose from, who they want to be with. And I planned everything out to the, to the T. And naturally, it was a big, a big hit for anybody who participated. But it started out slowly because nobody really believed that it. it was too good to be true. What's the catch? There's got, there's got to be a catch. Yeah, kindness. Someone how, being how, kind and how caring. How can we choose an industry leader to spend a day with and, and learn the realities and be treated like family? Well, I called you yesterday for this interview today, and you answered your phone and said yes. So that's a testament to <laughs> the way you are with your business and your life. So it's great that you share so much with so many people.
I, I want to come and be involved well, with this. Eisenberg. Again, I've been I've been very very fortunate, and giving back is a pleasure. It's very time consuming, but it's 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 an honor. Well, I'm sure that some of these kids really get a light bulb go off when they you probably really strike a chord with them and you change their life. Well, again, thousands of lives. But what I'm very glad to report is I've been able to recruit other leaders who have taken charge and run these various programs for the Eisenberg Foundation. And it's just so heartwarming and absolutely fabulous. Now, you know, we're, we're coming out of the roughest year we've had perhaps in our lives economically with this COVID. And at the foundation, what we've done is we've kept slugging away. And much to my chagrin, a lot of our activities have been virtual. And virtual is a, a fraction of a face-to-face. I say it's like going to the ball game, the baseball game, and after the first inning, they just announce that it's, it's raining, the game's rained out, go home. But there's been a silver lining, and that is we've been able to go national and even international with our programs that we never thought of doing before. So when, when this COVID ends and we're getting close, we think we're close, we hope we're, hope we're close, sure do. we'll be able to do both in person and the virtual with people who can't come to Chicago or to America for that matter. Would you say separates successful developers from unsuccessful developers? Well, that's a good question. What, what does it take to be successful in real estate? Well, I think you need to have passion. Coming to work has to be something you just can't wait to get up in the morning and do. And it, it, it takes a dedication. You, you have to decide you're going to do it no matter what. There's so many roadblocks you're going to encounter on a daily basis and hurdles you have to jump over. And it's easy to just say, oh, you know, it's too hard. I, uh, you know, I'm not going to do it. I can't do it. It's not for everyone. I won't do it. And you have to be steadfast. You know, no matter what, I'm going to get it done. And you know something? You can do it. You can do it. You can do anything. You just have to do it. Now, another thing is, I think to be successful, you have to want to do everything. You have to want to do it because if your goal is to do, you know, two or three things every day, well, you'll do two or three things. But what if your goal is to do a couple of hundred things every day and you promise yourself to do it and you actually do do it? Well, you have that burning goal desire. What a difference. And you get it done. You obviously have the burning goal desire. Oh, yeah. So you don't plan on retiring, I wouldn't imagine. Well, I tell you, I am pushing 65, and I'm doing everything as I always have done. Minutia. I don't like the minutia, but I sort of trick myself into thinking I like the minutia so that I'll do the minutia, and I'm so good at it. But I want to turn that over because I wouldn't want to think that I'm like 80 or 85 years old and still doing the minutia. It just doesn't seem to be fitting. And it's probably something that I should have delegated years ago. You know, I still open the mail, sort the mail, and do so many of the little things, sign every check, negotiate every lease, so let me ask you, so yeah. your your visualization of this semi-retirement that you hope to achieve by passing this down, what does that include? I think it includes reducing from 70 hours a week to maybe 55 hours a week. So you don't think you can really <laughs> let go? Well, that's semi-retirement. Right. 55 hours a week. So do you like to travel? My wife loves to travel. And you're, yeah, you know are, you, are you occupied somewhere else while you're gone? I mean, in your mind, are you? 
Well, in the know, buildings, it's it's terrific to have email. You know, for a great part of my career, there was no such thing. You travel and you were lost in space. You know, you might call into the office and they'd, they'd have little pink slips with who called you. And that was about it. But now you can stay in touch when you travel. And that relieves, for me, that relieves the stress. You know what's going on. You never fall more than three quarters of a day behind. And that's a lot better than going away for a week, a week and a half, and being clueless and unreachable. But the workload sounds huge. So how do you get two or three Al Claremonts to take your place? I'm going to try. <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you, I have a trump card. My daughter, Julia, who's been with us now for eight years, and she is terrific. And I does think she still live in Bucktown? She does. Yeah. She does. Excellent. And she does all the leasing? And she's, she's hungry and talented. And I'm going to look for her to take over many of the things that I've been doing all along. How many employees do we have now at Imperial? Well, I think we're at 125. That includes like all of the different people working at the buildings. That doesn't include vendors, though. So, I mean, you're touching hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of people's lives. If you added up all of the tenants you have and all the people who work on the building. Well, there's 4,000 <clears> tenants. That's like a city, a small city. But, you know, a tenant might have uh, 100, 100 employees or right. a dozen employees. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a big village. Well, I hope that you give Julia more opportunity to take some of the stuff off your desk and you decide to really go travel some with your wife. Uh, what are your other, do you like going to baseball games or football games or concerts or what are your other hobbies? Well, you know, hobbies have been compromised. I would like not to embarrass myself on the golf course. And how often do you get to play now? Not much, you know, a handful of times a year. Usually the fundraisers, maybe best ball, which isn't really golf. No, it's tough. If you don't get out a lot, I was lucky to get out a lot last year. But I, I don't really, you have, you have an outing every year, and I, I do fantasize. You're gonna come and play with us. And it's like uh, you know, too hard, too hard to get away. But well, Al, thank you so much, Julia. You want to step up and talk for a minute? She's actually here. In the room with us? Yeah. Come on. Don't forget to sit in this chair, the boss's chair. Well, it's chair. about time you do. <laughs> so I started here as an intern. My summer is going into junior and senior year at college. And my first year, my first summer here, I was just still an intern. I did filing and everything. And then the brokers would let me tag along on showings and my dad would let me sit in on meetings and negotiations. And I thought that was so cool. So going into senior year, I definitely felt like my interest was in brokerage. And I decided when I was a senior, I had a sort of light load of classes I was winding down. And I just decided to get, you know, start studying for my real estate license. And so right around the time after graduation, I took the exam and I started to work here right after as a broker. It was really exciting. I thought that being on the commission only structure was a really good way to motivate myself to work very hard. Commission was what I felt I needed to stay hungry and active and self-motivate myself to make deals. So I loved brokerage. It was exciting. I think the part about it that I loved the most is that I would every day get to meet one-on-one -on -one with different business owners. The people I showed space to so rarely was an assistant or someone else. It was it was the boss. And I thought that it was really interesting to be able to ask what they do in their questions and try to help them with a part of their business to find a, a ground for them to uh, lay roots. So that was my favorite part. And then, of course, I liked making money. <laughs> so what but, you're saying, it's so like it's in the past tense. So well, you don't do any brokerage now? I do. But after three years of brokerage, I shifted. My dad was looking for some more assistance in the administrative department here. And I decided to leave 
brokerage. And now I work with him more on like the operations administrative side. I think the biggest shift was we had this huge 1031 exchange and we bought, was it 15 buildings in one year? 10 buildings in one year. My dad knew every tenant's name, which side of the hall they were on, if they pay on time, if they have a dog or not that comes Very to work. Very detail-oriented. That's wonderful. And then all of a sudden you're smacked with like hundreds of new tenants and you don't have like the same grip and pulse on who they are and what these tenants expect when it comes to a renewal. And so primarily my job has been working with our existing tenants on renewals and negotiations modifications, expansions, downsizing. So I still get to work with a lot of brokers when they try to sneak in and represent our existing tenants. Certain house deals we'll work on together. I think it's interesting the way you guys have always done it, at least from my aspect, and I haven't done a lot of the commercial brokerage with you, but I know that you're not looking to put someone in a three to five year lease. You're okay with a year or expend it. I think that's part of why so many tenants come to us is we're flexible on the And they stay with you because you're flexible. And we have small space. And if you're somebody that just wants to start your own small shop, I mean, it's so fun. Yesterday, I submitted a lease request for a tenant who started off in a building of ours in Northfield in 240 feet. And today he's expanding into over 3,000 feet. He just keeps growing and growing. And it's such a pleasure to be able to help him with his expansion. And we try to make it as easy as possible. And it's like that with a lot of tenants. And so for me, it's so fun to help tenants grow their business. Heriting the tenant is a little tougher than organically knowing them. I think, well, for example, that tenant who I just referenced, that was a tenant I put in. So I knew him when he was looking for his first office. So it's nice that I can continue to work with him. So I don't lose touch with all of my tenants who I enjoy working with. But when we bought these properties, a lot of them came to us. We didn't have that same relationship that goes back. So they would come to us with a broker trying to get our pulse on a renegotiation, or I just try to explain it's easier when you work with me (laughs) because I'm looking out for your needs and I want to get you the best deal. And the best way to do that is to work with us and circumvent it. Well, you're already the owner. Exactly. Why put a middleman in it? (laughs) Why why include a middleman? And, you know, our goal is obviously to make deals. And so we do the best that we can. And I think the biggest learning lesson for me was making the shift of as a broker looking out for more myself. I mean, I want to make this deal so I get paid. Now I'm looking solely to represent the owner and what's best for the company. And I was fortunate to learn that also as a broker from my father, because he was able and willing to explain to me when he turned down a lease offer. You know, it's not that I don't want you to make the deal. It's that you have to understand this deal. It's not a good deal. Why do we want to make bad deals? Let's go out there and find something better. So it helped me stay humble in that sense where I was able to understand and analyze the deal to see what was best for the company. So actually a vacancy can actually be better sometimes than a problem tenant. Exactly. No, a vacancy is always better than a real problem tenant, isn't well, it? Well, you know, <laughs> what we hate hearing from tenants is, well, it's been sitting empty. Give me this this offer I'm making. It's like, but that it costs us more to operate the building than what you're offering to pay in rent. I right. mean, it doesn't make sense for us. It has to make sense. We try to go into it to make both parties feel happy. And my dad is such an excellent and elegant negotiator that I've been able to listen and learn from him as well and try to basically just mimic his style of negotiation. Well, I think it's fun that you can just tell certain buildings, you look at them and go, that has to be an imperial building. And how would I know that it's an imperial building? Because they own so many of that type of building. Yeah. And it's and then I see it is an imperial. When I was starting out as a broker, I drove by a property. I was still learning our portfolio. And I said, oh, that would be a great acquisition for us. And then I drive a little further. There's already a leasing and management by (laughs) Imperial Realty. I was like, oh, okay, perfect. They're on top of it. When was it that it first hit you that you were going to get in this business? I didn't know what I wanted to do in college. I thought I wanted to be a social worker. And where did you go? University of Oregon. 
Yeah, it was actually my mother who encouraged me. I was waitressing my summers home from college or working at some other store or whatnot, babysitting. She said, why don't you just work with Imperial for a summer and see how you like working in an office and learning about real estate? I have two older siblings and neither showed a passion towards real estate. But I think part of the reason I liked it already, it fascinated me enough to give it a shot was because my dad and I, when I was a little girl, he would take me around to buildings. We had our secret Sunday adventures where we would drop my brother and sister off at Hebrew school and he would walk That's a building with his tape recorder, Come making on, a bunch of notes. And I would just walk through these buildings with him. And so that he could get some work done, he would say, let's play hide and seek. So <laughs> I would find like an empty cubicle. I was like four. I mean, so that's the same thing that happened to me. My father would take me to the office. My grandfather would still be in his office. I would go and talk to grandpa. He'd always tell me the same exact stories. And he was the hardest worker. But he, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And then my father was so much fun. He'd take me all around and joke with all of his tenants and stuff. And yeah. so I figured that'd be the last thing I would get into. I loved it. And then I would come here. I thought, take your daughter to work day was a big, you know, I'd come and my dad would give me, you know, the highlighters and I would just sit at his desk with paper while he's on the phone and just kind of hang out. And I just always, I loved spending time with my dad. I loved learning. When you're four, you don't really understand what's happening. It's all fun and games. But as I grew older, I saw how hard he really works. And it, people would ask, you know, like when you're younger, what is, what do your parents do? It's like, I don't know, I'm like real something, something buildings. I didn't know how to articulate what he did. And so I think I really wanted to understand what he did. And it wasn't until I interned here that it opened well, my there, eyes. He probably didn't realize all the things because really like he's sort of everything. a janitor at times. He's everything. You know, he makes sure the lights are on. He opens the mail. He's but everything. Then, yeah, he's doing all the of minutia. these different. Yeah. The minutia, the staff who says I've been calling and calling this tenant, you know, to try to get them to sign the renewal. You know, he'll just pick up the phone and call him. He'll usually get through. And then the signed renewal comes and every <laughs> he makes it look easy, but he's extremely organized. But I mean, look, he does so many things and I never realized how much he really takes on and how much he's accomplished until I really started working here. So once I saw that, I just wanted to learn more and more and learn it his way. I thought maybe, oh, well, I could go somewhere else and learn first and get experience. But then I was like, that's the silliest thing. Why wouldn't I want to learn from this genius father I have? And it's a family business, which I'm so fortunate to be able to join. So I never looked back. You always seem very happy when I see you. I and even happy. when it's in a work situation, you always <laughs> have that glow about you. I love what I do. Yeah, you love what you do. And it, it comes, it really does come across. Right. And so when you hear your dad talking about the potential of you trying to step in to run something of this magnitude, do you think of ways that you would creatively delegate some of this? I mean, I try to. I mean, we're looking for a couple people to to bring on to help me right now. My fear is more like when it's time when I start my own family, how I'll balance the hours. But I'm confident that we'll find a good compromise. You know, I am committed, so I don't want to give anything up. And Julia, we really appreciate you being on the show.